Jesus loved hyperbole. Not everyone does. James and John, for instance, are quite literal in their anger. They want to burn it all down. At this moment in our national life, I'll just say, I recognize the impulse. Jesus is more measured. The text says he rebuked them. Let the Samaritans alone, I can imagine him saying. Let them alone, those who do not wish to follow me, those who do not wish to even welcome me into their town. Leave it be. Yes, Jesus has no ire to spare for Samaritans, it seems. Only, confusingly, the people who wish to follow Jesus are rebuked, are seemingly rejected and dismissed. You will be homeless, he tells one. You too will have no place to lay your head. Is that what you want? Even more confusingly, more aggressively, really, Jesus addresses the would-be followers who want to honor their families. Let me attend to funeral plans. Let me settle my father's estate and all the business at home, says one. Let me say my goodbyes to the people I love. Let me say goodbye to my old life, says another. No, no, no. No one who turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. So who among us is? Who among us is fit? Who would be ready to follow Jesus if we encountered him with these demands? Who among us would want to? This gospel is one of the so-called hard teachings of Jesus. Hard not just because its meaning is not immediately clear, but hard because it convicts each of us. Jay's words this morning were helpful to me. He said that Jesus sounds harsh, but for those with ears to hear, his question is simple. Are you free to follow me? Are you free to follow me? That is truly the question in this gospel reading and many others, and it is the question being asked urgently of us by our world. Are you free to follow me? Because this is a moment that demands our Christian witness. The work is urgent, Jesus is telling us tonight. His face was set towards Jerusalem, set towards confrontation with the powers of sin and death. And to all those who would stand beside him, he needed to know, are you in or are you out? Because Jesus is not saying don't bury your loved ones. Jesus is not saying don't care for your families. And he's not saying not to acknowledge those bonds of love. This is our God who spoke to his mother from the cross, woman, behold your son. Not speaking of himself, but of his friend. And to that disciple, he said, here is your mother. Jesus created a bond of safety and family in his own moment of greatest pain, giving these two people to each other as parent and child. From that moment and from so many others, we can be confident that Jesus is not saying what we think we hear. He is not saying that the only way to follow God is to abandon our families. But he is saying that the time has come to prepare the way of the Lord. The time has come to turn the world upside down and you can't acknowledge that and simply go on as before. You can't give your life to Christ and turn back around. You cannot ask goodness to wait. It's that famous prayer of St. Augustine, 
when it began to dawn on him that he was not living in accord with his heart, his values. Lord, make me chaste, he prayed, but not yet. Another word for that might be denial. Conflicted about what we want, we make the choice to keep going as we have been. And Jesus is telling us with shocking hyperbole and even more painful clarity that we have a choice to make. And it is a choice we are free to make for good or for ill. Freedom is the other topic of our scripture today, especially Paul's letter to the Galatians, a few words of which opened our service today. For for freedom, Christ has set us free, Paul wrote to the Galatians. Simply put, we are free in Jesus, freed from isolation and fear, free from the thrall of money, freed from values that make other people our competition rather than our family. We are free in Christ, and we are given to one another. We belong to each other just as we belong to God. Christian freedom may look different than our American ideal of individualism, everyone for themselves, but even these opposing visions of freedom mean that we have a choice. An old friend from seminary pointed out this week that heresy comes from the Greek word hieresis, choice. In the eyes of authorities, both political and religious, Jesus was a heretic. He was a chooser, and his choice was love over power, humanity over money, inclusion over exclusion. Jesus chose disobedience over civility. He chose a world where all bodily needs were met. Jesus chose healing, and he chose autonomy. Jesus chose the meek to inherit the earth, It is the choices Jesus made that have been on my mind since Friday, when the Supreme Court struck down the constitutional right to an abortion, among other rulings that deny the value of human life. On Friday, the presiding bishop, Michael Curry, released a statement on the church's response to this ruling. I commend it to you. But he said in part that this decision institutionalizes inequality because women with access to resources will be able to exercise their moral judgment in ways that women without those same resources will not. Throughout the gospel, throughout the good news of God in Christ, Jesus asks us to choose and to choose with him. And to help us, he makes the truth plain in miracles, in healings, in the loaves and fishes and the bread and wine, God shows us the truth, the truth that we were made in love for love, the truth that all God's people were meant to live in freedom and dignity, and you cannot see that truth and turn back. You cannot halfway make that choice. At the beginning of this sermon, I asked who among us is fit to follow God, and the answer is each of us. We were born for it. Our humanity is meant for it. Because a life with its back turned on the truth is no life at all. And each of us is free, truly free, 
to follow him.